0: This podcast is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.
1: Welcome to the Rights Reporting Podcast. This is a show aiming to improve the rights of blind and partially sighted citizens in Europe. And my name is Neven Milivojevic and I will be the host of of today. And today we have a theme of a very important right, that is the right to education. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, the CRPD, recognizes this in its Article 24, the right to inclusive education for all persons with disabilities. But uh, what does this mean, actually, and uh, what measures are needed to make it possible? Well, as you all know, political visions sometimes uh, do not turn into reality. And uh, that is why we need to speak about how to make this more possible in Europe. Uh, Today we will meet uh, two experts. We have two distinguished guests, one from Portugal and one from Sweden. And we will listen to them about their thoughts on barriers and challenges, but also about possibilities and tools for solutions. Before we introduce them, uh, I would like to uh, take your attention to that we should listen to Kevin Sheldahl, who is uh, recently graduated from his upper secondary school uh, in West Sweden. And we asked him about... What were his experiences uh, in relation to inclusive education as a blind student?
2: As a child, I started going
3: to school just like all the other kids in Sweden. In my country, we have the opportunity to attend school for 12 years without paying any fees until we finish upper secondary school. Being in school can work quite differently depending on where you live as each region has its own
2: regulations.
3: For me it worked out rather well overall, but one thing that was a bit difficult was the part concerning social relations. Because things develop quite quickly and it's not always easy to follow what the others are doing during the breaks. When you're little, you can run around playing with the other kids. But when you're older, most people just sit and watch YouTube videos during those breaks. I found it was more difficult in upper secondary school compared to primary school and lower secondary school because you're supposed to take more responsibility for yourself from upper secondary school and onwards in Sweden. However, things do not always work out that way, unfortunately. For instance, I had a very bad English teacher who could not give me the help and support that I needed. She did not describe what she drew and wrote on the whiteboard, and she gave me texts to read as PDF files, which is not a very accessible format for me. I would have preferred to get those texts as Word files. Because of this, I had to do an English course during two years instead of the normal one year period for that course. That was not so helpful for my motivation. I also think it's very important to be able to influence the choice of pupil support assistant at the earliest age possible, because you're supposed to be able to cooperate with that person, and each person knows best what kind of support that he or she
2: needs.
3: In my case, for instance, I got a person who had dyslexia as a pupil support assistant, which was perhaps not the best thing for me. I took extra courses apart from the compulsory ones, and it did not work very well to have someone who had reading and writing difficulties when I needed help writing something, or in some cases also reading something. ...or having someone to help me explain certain mathematical terms, for instance.
2: However, I feel that I've always had great support from using braille. And that is good to know when I hear about other cases...
3: ...where people did not have the support that they needed to learn braille. One explanation could be that I've always wanted to learn how to read... ...ever since I was a small child so I've always made sure to keep in contact with the Swedish National Agency for Special Needs in Education and Schools. That's it for me. Thank you for listening to my story.
1: I would like to welcome our two guests for today's podcast. First, we have Miss Ana-Sofia Antunes, the Secretary of State for the Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities in Portugal. Most welcome, Miss Antunes. We also have Ms. Marlin Ekman-Aldén, the Director General at the Swedish Agency for Participation. Most welcome. Let's start with you, Ms. Aldén. Uh, what are your reflections uh, when you've been listening to Kevin's story? Uh, how would you describe uh, the challenges uh, with inclusive education in Sweden?
4: I think, uh, from my perspective, there are, there are different challenges. And I think he's... Uh, He's uh, catching them quite well. Uh, the one, the, the the basic challenge is, of course, to have um, equal access to um, to uh, to the education, to uh, materials, uh, to to an inclusive environment that actually enable you to uh, to learn and study on in the same conditions as other students. And I think there are many barriers still to be uh, to be moved, removed, to ensure that visually impaired uh, young people are, are getting the same opportunities and would also have the same opportunities to to achieve the the best possible result that they would need for further education and further working life and so on. Uh, so there are a lot of practical things around uh, technical devices, obviously, also book literature, accessible literature. Uh, but also uh, teachers uh, that can actually teach in a way that is inclusive, that you can follow what is happening in the classroom and um, and also be able to take part in different activities that are taking place. I think that's really that's really basic. That's why we go to school. Uh, but uh, I think school is also uh, a place where you are socially preparing for adult life and further education, work, working life, and uh, so inclusive, from my point of view, inclusion from my point of view is also to be socially included, and I think that is a great challenge for many um, visually impaired young people, that they are in in a way placed in in the in the ordinary school system, but uh, the environment and how things are actually. Uh, it's actually structured around their extra need for support is not really supporting uh, social inclusion that they are in a very easily get very isolated maybe because of lacking uh, practical opportunities they have to spend much too much time with homework actually only getting access to to quite you know basic things and uh, That can also mean that after school you would end up with not enough confidence and social skills uh, to be actually well prepared for for, for what what you are going to do further on. And I think that is also something that has to be be, uh, noted because uh, social skills... And uh, the the ability to actually interact in a in a sighted society is really really important actually to be successful and confident in you further in the further situation and that is also part at least in Sweden that's even even written as a basic principle in the in the national curriculum and, and is also a very important thing that school schools must provide and, and support for also for children with, with disabilities.
1: Yeah and, and uh, exactly and you are actually uh, men, he actually mentioned this and so you're putting your, your spot on very important thing. So well Ms Antunes what would you say about uh, the situation in Portugal for instance if if Kevin would have gone to school there would his experiences have been uh, similar and uh, would you say there are some uh, what would be the main uh, challenges uh, in Portugal when it comes to inclusive education?
0: First of all, I'd like to thank uh, for this opportunity to be here in this uh, podcast. Well, um, I'd like to start by saying that probably the main challenges on about inclusive education are so similar, uh, considering the realities of the different uh, countries, especially when we're t- talking about uh, European countries that had that have uh, um, a good level of uh, uh, procedures uh, related to inclusion. In in Portugal, we have a very concrete way done uh, in in the area of uh, inclusive education. Our first uh, experiences uh, in the inclusion of children with disabilities in the regular schools are from the, the, the decades of uh, 70 and 80 of the last century. And of course, uh, as I think that happened in other uh, different European countries, we have started with the, uh, children with the sensorial and physical disabilities. It is a process that uh, took time, but uh, um, during the, the, the years, it's uh, it, uh, established, uh, and, and currently, of course, we, ha- we still have challenges, but uh, we can say that uh, we, we had success uh, in this uh, process. In this moment, we had 98% of our children with disabilities in, uh, included uh, in the um, regular schools, and uh, our experiences with the special schools are so few uh, and we, we we really think that probably in 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 some years not not uh, so much years we probably will not have more of these uh, special schools in spite of it uh, in two thousand and eight we 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 did a, a big reflection considering this uh, subject and uh, we conclude that um, our main challenge uh, uh, was um the the children with mental and uh, cognition, cognition uh, disabilities because these uh, specific children um, were not included in our regular schools. So, um, with the new legislation approved in this year, 2008, we established this obligation and is only uh, considering this uh, this determination, this new legislation that uh, we all uh, today can say uh, and can um uh, have this this level these numbers of uh, inclusion and when i talk about inclusion i'm using the correct words because uh, what i um, felt when i when i start my my functions uh, in the portuguese government 6 years ago uh, was uh, that of course when we talk about um, intellectual and cognitive disabilities We we had the the capability to move these children to the regular schools, of course, but we didn't construct inclusion. We construct integration. But many times what we saw um, is that these children, uh, in spite of uh, being uh, in the regular school, they uh, were not really included uh, in these spaces, in these educational communities. Um, More frequently that we would like to recognize These children were there, but they were not attending the classroom. They were not um, uh, with their um, colleagues, with the other pupils. So it was a new evolution that we had to do uh, with uh, more regulation uh, approved in 2018 um, that uh, approved new uh, obligations to the schools, of course, new resources, but uh, the, one of the main um imposes positions that we we st- established with this new legislation was um the obligation that all the children um in, sp- in spite of their uh, specific disability had to stay in their own classroom with their um regular teachers with, and with their colleagues a minimum of uh, 70% of their
1: Uh, uh, week school period Well that's most interesting but if we then move on to um, maybe how we should combat these uh, challenges which you both uh, uh, have uh, seen uh, in your respective countries, for instance Ms. Aldén, what would be the the main successful tools to reach uh, more inclusion uh, or more inclusive education in, in your view?
4: I think there are several um, several tools needed. I mean, obviously you need uh, you need resources enough uh, in the in the schools uh, and in the system, uh, and resources is obviously money, <laughs> but uh, it's also um, enough uh, training and. Uh, well, training and, and developing opportunities, not only for the students, but also for, for the teachers and and also people in directing positions like headmasters and so on. Because at least in Sweden, the headmasters that are directing the schools have uh, a lot of influence in actually how things are, are, um, are organized and how resources are, are distributed. So that's very important. And uh, there also, I think, an important thing that at least in Sweden is a, a great discussion is that you need enough staff uh, because if you have two big uh, groups, classes or so on and not enough teachers and maybe other support staff, uh, it's very difficult to, to actually meet the needs of each pupil. And that is really the basic thing to to be able to, to have a good inclusive environment that each person not, not depending on if you have a disability or could be other things you would have a special need around you you have to be met where you actually are and where your your capacity is uh, so are uh, so i think that is really important and um and uh, there there is a lot of uh, training needed not only to be able to actually you know in a practical sense meet the needs of children with disabilities but uh, And other children with other needs, obviously, but you also need a lot of, um, you know, uh, be a bit uh, creative and also have uh, a a good understanding on on how actually a situation can be in different, with with different needs. And I think teachers are really a key key factor to, to ensure that inclusion is working. Uh, And uh, this needs to be, you know, addressed very early in in school age. I think starting very early with kids uh, creating an environment where there is space and interest for each each one and where you actually also... um, Organise everything in school, not only the classrooms, but also in the breaks, in the PE, whatever different things you have in in the school curriculum, has to consider that everybody must have the opportunity to actually be a part on equal equal conditions. I think the teachers have a really crucial um, impact to ensure that. Because often, in if you have a child with a disability, you are actually trying to solve the situation by maybe appointing an assistant or a, a support supporting person in the classroom. and instead of actually working with a whole group, the whole class, you are in a way like taking the the child out and and you know solving things on the side. That does not promote inclusion from my point of view. You have to be so that teachers have the tools, the knowledge, the understanding, and enough time and resources. Is is really a key to to achieve inclusion so i think this is really the important thing but i i have to come back to the thing of socializing because i think sometimes you are so much focusing on the academic situation which is obviously very important and the why the why you are in school but you to ensure a good academic situation you also need to to pinpoint other things in school like um, like the social situation because when we have looked at this the the situation of children with disabilities in Sweden, in Swedish schools, we can see that there is a great number of harassments, bullying, uh, like uh, not good psychiatric well-being in this group. And that is not because the classroom is not working always, but that is very much because the like the breaks the afternoons, whatever you are, how the school is organized, that there is a lot of things happening outside the classroom that is really affecting the, 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 the self, the confidence of the child, but also the opportunity to, to actually learn. So I think that is really important.
1: Very much so. Thank you. Thank you. Miss uh, Antunes, from your point of view, uh, what would be the main uh, successful tools for, uh, for instance, implementing the CRPD's Article 24?
0: Well, uh, recently we approved in Portugal our National Strategy, strategy on Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities uh, 20, uh, 2025. Um, and in these um, political documents, we try to um, organize it. Uh, as as much as possible uh, on uh, in in the same line as the, the CRPD and as the uh, European strategy on the rights of uh, persons with disabilities recently approved to um our main uh, challenges are uh, are described and, and present in this uh, document um we think that uh, of course we 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 have done a good way, but we all also we always have more and more that we can done to 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 transform the experience uh, of the the children with disability in regular schools uh, in a really inclusive experience. So um one of the big challenges that we are facing in this moment is, uh, that we organize this uh, inclusion process um, uh, based uh, on a, a, a net uh, of uh, ref- reference schools, um, um, considering this um, proposal. That uh, as 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 long as we know that uh, is difficult to. Um, have all the technologies and all the technical resources in all the schools, so uh, we establish um, uh, a, a group, a large group, uh, of this reference school uh, that, uh, priority, sh- should be attended by these students. It is easy to do in the big cities, of course, but it's really difficult to maintain this, uh, this position when we are talking about the interior of the country, because we have some places where the children with disabilities had uh, um, had to travel today more than uh, 80, 100, uh, 100 kilometers uh, to, to attend the school, and it's not acceptable in the 21st century, of course. Um, so uh, now we have this challenge of um, bring more schools to this um, to this net to this uh, reality and we have to um, to give to these new schools all the conditions to correctly uh, receive and include students uh, with disabilities
1: Has these political frameworks like the the crpd and the european have they been of help to you do you find them helpful in in the work of process uh, changing development
0: of course, of course they are really um, useful and uh, in, in the, the, the work that we are uh, strictly uh, done with the Education Ministry in, in Portugal, um, uh, for, for, for you to understand, my, uh, this uh, Secretary, uh, this State Secretary is included in the Employment, Solidarity and Social Security Ministry um but uh, we, we of course we try to do a, um, a transversal work with different areas of the government and one of the strongest mm, parsary work that I always have been done is with the, the edu- Ministry of uh, education uh, and um, we, we we also know that uh, um, When when we we, we are preparing these uh, these schools to to receive a new student um, we have different challenges to face. Uh, The first of all and the more simple to solve is the human resources, of course. They all ask us not uh, for uh, specific or technical, uh, not to teachers or um, special education teachers, but. Um, The most frequently frequently is to ask about uh, support staff. Uh, For example, in this moment, with the the strong process of inclusion of uh, children with autism, different autism autism spectrum, this need uh, of uh, uh, specific staff to accompany these children in the the classroom is one of the most frequent. But, uh, of course, i and only to conclude I think our main uh, challenge uh, and uh, is is to overcome this difficult I don't know if we have a specific tool but we have to be imaginative and we have to be capable to always find new solutions and our our biggest um tool i think uh, our biggest challenge i I continue to say that that are our minds um uh, in a moment uh, in, in the 21st sen- century when I have uh, some families of children with disability uh, trying to defend um, a returning process to special schools because they think that their children doesn't need to be in the regular classrooms that doesn't, doesn't have to contact with the uh, uh, children without disability. This is the Biggest challenge that we have to face are the mentalities, the the minds, and to find new parseries, new 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 ways to 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 continue this combat uh, that inclusion.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, Ms. Alden, Kevin Sheldahl, he mentioned how important Braille was to him that he actually very early accomplished to to learn this, and and I, I was just wondering. Do you have any point of view of how how important this could be to and and do you assess that this is a, a opportunity which is uh, widely uh, given to to pupils who who would be able to use it in their life?
4: I I think like if you are a blind person, blind uh, Braille is absolutely essential because that is your like reading language, right? Uh, I think too many young people today are actually uh, denied braille because uh, there are so many uh, quite cheap and uh, accessible solutions that are more uh, focusing on on hearing because that's uh, in a way um, a cheaper and more uh, easy. Easy way of solving the problem that you are actually listening to a lot of things, but if you don't, if you only listen to things during your schooling, you will not be able to spell. You will not be able to understand how, foreign names are are actually spelled and looking. There are so many things you are actually missing out. In a way, you are becoming a bit of a uh, what you call it in English, uh, analphabetic uh if you are, don't have access to braille and i think in sweden the access to braille is is a is an upcoming problem because when a, a lot of people who were actually uh, very much promoting braille and also experts in this field are are maybe retiring now and uh, there is not a, haven't been enough you know emphasis on braille because the group using braille in sweden at least because we are a small country is very very few very few children today uh, get, become uh, blind, completely blind in, in braille users. But for them who, who are or who become braille users in, in older ages, it's absolutely essential actually to, to actually be able to pre- perform and to have a good education. So I think that is uh, really, uh, that together with other skills like mobility is really crucial if if you have a visual impairment uh, for, uh, for um Visually, uh, partially sighted people like myself, uh, computers can can really solve a lot because you can have you know larger print, which was not so available uh, before computing age. Which, as I'm very old, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, today you can, uh, and that will really be a help to, especially to learn spelling and also to learn foreign languages, which is a. this is a key thing actually in in the modern modern world especially here in europe so i think uh, that is that is a problem as he's explaining and also the opportunity to actually use Braille uh through uh you know through materials that that is available is is very limited and uh, and uh, i think there is some technical development and you can do you can do them more like automatically braille copies nowadays but still there is a lot of need to be need to develop further the, the techniques and and also the the availability
1: Thank you, Ms. Alden. I will give you the, the last word, Ms. Alden, on, on just briefly telling us about what the agency do, which you are uh, uh, Director General. of. But before that, I wanted to ask Ms. Antunius, as I know you are a Braille user, uh, what your experiences are and the importance of Braille uh, uh, for those who need it in school uh, on this topic.
0: Yes, I'm a Braille user since, m- since uh, my, my early age, uh, six, uh, six years old in this subject, I only can uh, agree and reinforce absolutely the words of Mrs. Aldea. Um, it's it's uh, really, really uh, necessary, it's really important that uh, uh, a child, a blind uh, child, uh, in, uh, in the educational process since the, the first time, since the first year, um, uh, has... Um, contact uh, with the, the Braille because a, a Educational process done uh, only based uh, in a Listening process um, It's not possible um, The first reason is is obviously the, the, the I don't know it, it, it says in English, but the orthography uh, How do you spell uh, the words? and um, How do you spell it and how do you write it? And, of course, it will have uh, consequences in in the future of a a blind child, a a blind uh, youth, a blind adult, uh, when uh, he will be, uh, for example, uh, applying for a job. Um, But uh, not only uh, for this reason, of course, because um, all the learning process uh, will be uh, put uh, in case uh, when you don't have uh, the correct uh, contact uh, with the, the learning uh, with, with the with the language uh, that we that you that you talk uh, and that you use. Um, I, I'm a real user uh, since my early age. Of course, I'm also. Um, I also use a large printer uh, in some contests, Uh, and of course in Portugal we also have this challenge because we have a few number of uh, children, fortunately of course, um, uh, that uh, uh, was born uh, totally blind. Um, In the first years uh, when we promote the transition of these children from the special to the regular schools, we have... um, Problem here because we didn't have uh, technical staff um, experts in Braille in these regular schools. So, these children uh, in the first years of the transition didn't have the correct contact with Braille. Uh, it was it now, now the reality is not so bad, of course. Now, uh, we have had time in the last uh, 15 years, 10 years to promote the, the, the formation of many uh, technical staff in braille uh, but i think it's not enough and of course we need to complement this learning process with the access to technical technological um, devices to uh, um, to try that children continue use the braille during their life during their lives mm,
1: thank you very much ms antunes and um, Yes, and we, that's why it's really good that we have, for instance, the CRPD, where it's really stated that uh, there have to be a provision with, with uh, teaching uh, of Braille when necessary. So that's really good too. Now, I wanted uh, to put the last question to Miss Aldean because uh, we do know what we do understand what uh, Secretary of State and uh, governmental ministry is doing, but maybe for some of our listeners. Uh, Agency for Participation is something we don't necessarily know immediately what it is. So, could you very briefly uh, tell us, uh, Ms. Alden, what what uh, what you are, uh, Director General, of?
4: Yeah, sure, I'll try. Um, the The agency is uh, a governmental agency, uh, and our job is really uh, to support the parliament and government in Sweden in following up on the national disability policy. Uh, but also to support uh, because it's a cross-cutting policy uh, that is actually pinpointing all different sectors of the of the society. So we also have uh, we are also commissioned to actually support the different sectors to to develop uh, their work to ensure the inclusion of persons with disabilities. And uh, the basis for the policy and for our work obviously is the CRPD. And uh, that has then been developed in a, in a national um, decision passed by Parliament a few years ago, uh, where, where it's, uh, it's a bit developed on how this should be done. So that is really what we do. And uh, we do this in different ways. We are following up on, 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 uh, on the basis of different statistics and data, obviously, but we are also... De- doing different kind of uh, surveys and uh, interviews and our understanding of, our our, our idea of how you actually understand the, the impact and the result of a disability policy is that you have to start with actually Involving and talking to the people uh, that are affected in the end, the end users like people with with their own disabilities and their organisations, and through their uh, their story on on how the policy is actually working or not working, uh, then you can you can complete with and you could uh, you can deepen the understanding through data and and different kind of of um, qualitative studies. So that is actually how we work and. Uh, I think also in the field of uh, we've been we've been monitoring very many different sectors, but education is something that we are coming back to all the time because education and the right to employment is maybe the most basic things actually to achieve more uninclusive life uh, on a long-time basis so and when we when we talk about education a follow-up and education we have also done a lot of studies based actually on talking to the students themselves like Kevin on that we started up with because I think in both understanding the situation in education system but also to find the right kind of solutions uh, you need actually to talk to the students I think because it's, it's quite different to be an adult like myself, even though I was a visually impaired student many years ago. Uh, I do not have the, the right understanding on what solutions are actually working for the children or the child or the student. So you need to actually involve them themselves. And we tried also to, to, to use this kind of methodology in our work, uh, also in other areas, but also in the education field. So that's very, very briefly what we are doing
1: Thank you very, very much, both of you. It has been most inspiring, and uh, I think uh, both of you are uh, highly knowledgeable within this field, and I think you've been great inspiration to our listeners all over Europe. Um, So most uh, grateful we are. But before we end today's episode, I would like to remind you that uh, there is a new platform which is related to the field of Braille. Are you new in Braille and want to grasp the idea of dots on paper or on a Braille display? Are you interested in methods of Braille teaching and training? Do you want to get to know something about new devices using Braille to communicate? Or do you wish to obtain inspiration about Braille games or toys for your visually impaired child or pupil at school? Well, or maybe you are an expert uh, and uh, you do have some special experiences with using Braille you would like to share with others. Then the European Blind Union's web space is for you. Let's create one place with all the information about Braille in Europe. Buzzing with news. Visit livingbraille.eu. That is spelled L-I-V-I-N-G-E. B R A I L L E . E U So livingbraille.eu and dive into the Braille world. Thank you very much for listening to the Rights Reporting Podcast. This show is part of a European Paris project and is led by the European Blind Union, the Swedish Association of the Visually Impaired and the Eye Association of the Netherlands. The project is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union. Did you get curious and would like to know more? Well, then you can find our contact details in the show notes. Thank you also to Emil Cornelis, who is our soundmaster and located in the Netherlands. This was the last episode in the first season of the Rights Reporting Podcast. If you missed any of the other six episodes, you will be able to find them in uh, well, your podcast player or on the webpage of the European Blind Union. We wish you all good health and success in your work and commitment for an equal society. Have a good day.
2: This podcast
0: was supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.